You like the juice? You like the juice? Uh, I'm kind of conflicted on this juice. Don't tell me you like this piece of shit. <laughs> I didn't. Okay, well, relative to the normal movies we watch, I don't think it's. I kind of think it's one of the better ones, honestly. Uh, I think I had more fun with K911. <laughs> See, that's fucking ridiculous. That's that's literally what I wanted to bring up because we I, we had vastly different opinions on K nine one one, and I I don't know. I kind of okay. Well, I'm just gonna throw this out here. It's Saturday Night Drive. We watch Saturday Night Drive live movie whatever. This is directed by Dennis Dugan, who directed a couple Adam Sandler movies. So that's how it counts. This is the movie that I wanted uh, that fucking Howie Mandel Ted Danson movie to be. I mean, it's it's kind of fun. I don't know. I, I didn't have much fun watching it, but I, I saw, like, the fun I could have been having. Like, maybe I just need to be in a better uh, better mood to watch Brain Donors from 1992, I believe. Uh, yes. All right. So, yeah, this is... There is no... Uh, we Normally, we watch movies. If you listen to the podcast regularly, normally we watch movies with Saturday Night Live cast members. There are no Saturday Night Live cast members or brain donors, but there almost was. Did you see the IMDb trivia? No, I did I did not care whatsoever. Oh, Dennis Dugan originally wanted Adam Sandler uh, to play the... I think it said the main role, but at least one of the roles. Uh, but the studio said no. And thus was born the Dennis Dugan Adam Sandler friendship. So this movie gave us films that we have already covered, like You Don't Mess with the Zohan and Grown Ups One and Two and Jack and Jill and uh, there was one other one and it's escaping me now. Uh, Big Daddy, I believe, is the other Big one. Big Daddy, but we haven't watched that. There's one other one that we watched. Oh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh, I again. I I mean, I said it half-jokingly, that we watched it for Dennis Dugan. Uh, I don't really... I, I feel like I've said it a, a number of times. I don't care anymore about our format. I just want to watch interesting movies. And this was interesting to me, in theory, before we watched it. Like, the, the prospect of watching this was interesting. It is not nearly as interesting as, as I wanted it to be. Yeah, that's what I feel we're going to get, like, if we ever do watch that Bronson Pinchot, Abbott and Costello... Or no, it was a Laurel and Hardy movie. I feel like it's going to be just like this. You're just going to watch it and go, why did they do this? Well, I, well, that's the other thing is like, I want to ask that question. Like, who is this for? Why did they do this? But I know the answer to that question. And it's for fucking comedy nerd assholes. Like, remember, I remember, I distinctly remember like in the nineties, Jerry Seinfeld hosted like a TV special of like Abbott and Costello and like, and remember how great these Abbott and Costello routines are. And they aren't. They're just as lame as as Jerry Seinfeld was in the '90s, and it's like that. I just this is just a thing that comedy nerds like, and it's fuck it. I don't know. It's like fucking Al Jolson. Like we can let some shit go. We can. We don't have to fucking pretend this shit is still funny. Wait, the mark. Okay, well, wait, we gotta get before we get into this argument. We have to talk about what the fuck brain donors is. Uh, brain donors is a movie directed by Dennis Dugan, starring John Turturro, and uh, the. The guy who ran the torture chamber in The Princess Bride and some dude who's never been in any other movies before. And they are, it's a remake of the Marx Brothers movie, A Day at the Races and A Night at the Opera. Like they combined both of those stories together. Well, not really. It's mostly Not at the Opera, but they stole a bit from Day, uh, Day at the Races. And I am so far removed from watching the Marx Brothers movies as a kid that I didn't really remember either of the, like, any of the reference points, other than the characters are obviously those characters, I guess. I mean, Mel Smith is British and he's playing Chico, but, you know, I, I mean, I, that, it was fresh enough for me, and I'm not saying the Marx Brothers are bad, I'm saying modern interpret, just like the Three Stooges movie, modern interpretations of them, trying to bring them to the modern day just doesn't fucking work. 
No, I think they're products of their time. Just as in like 50 years, you know, if we showed someone, I don't know, what's a fucking comedy, like Abbott Elementary or something, <laughs> they'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? Get that shit away from me. We don't have schools anymore. They were teaching kids transness and CRT or whatever the fuck. And we outlawed yeah, no, them. I, I like the things from my generation. Keep your keep your shit to your fucking self. But I will say, the Marx Brothers, uh, I still watch those movies uh, uh, from time to time. I've uh, shown my, my now wife the Marx Brothers. I'm like, okay, well, let's watch a Marx Brothers movie. I picked A Day at the Races, which does have a blackface scene in I it. I was going to that ask. That was my bad. <laughs> well, which one's the one that has the full-on, like, African tribe thing? Mm. That's Day at the Races. That is that one? Okay. Yeah. Now, at one point, they're hiding out, and they it's the thir- it was made in the 30s, so they're hiding out in, like, a um, uh, like a black shanty town, uh, and there's, like, a full-on dance number with uh, all black actors and dancers, which is really good, but the one thing it gets knocked for now is, at the end, Groucho, Harpo, and Chico all put coal on their face, and because they're hiding out, and they're trying to join in the dance, so it's got that, but... I would argue, if you watch that scene, the dancing and the musical number itself is just insanely great. Oh no, it, they it probably is. didn't get paid for it, but it's that's, insanely yeah, great. Yeah, that's because I, I, our dad introduced us to the Marx Brothers, and he would always sort of justify shit like that. Oh, before its time, it was actually kind of progressive. No, it wasn't progressive. It was still they were still treated like second class citizens. Just because we were fetishizing them by putting them on camera doesn't mean. Yeah, I well, I just watched Babylon, the Damien Chazelle movie, and they have a whole thread about that. Where like, uh, this guy is like a like a black jazz musician. He gets he keeps going, kind of going up in the ranks of of popularity, and then at one point, the lighting makes him look too white, so they have to put blacker face on him. And it's just like that's no, that's fucking what it was. <laughs> Let's not fucking pretend it was ever good for them. What'd you think of uh, Babylon? We can talk about Babylon because SNL star Chloe Fineman is in it. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought it was great until the last 10 minutes when it became my worst movie of the year. That's what I thought, too. That movie was like the critics were like savaging it. Like right when it came out, they were like, oh, this is a mess. It's a disaster. And then it made like no money at the box office because it opened up next to Avatar. I went and saw it. I'm prepared for a three-hour movie that I probably won't like. That was a fucking lot of fucking movie. Like, I was loving everything until they, that epilogue. I, the movie, would, like, ended perfectly, I thought. And then they tacked on a, an epilogue that I thought just completely ruined it. Well, because that, and I, it's hard to explain it without spoiling it. But basically, the movie has this perfect level of cynicism where, like, they show how this system of Hollywood just grinds these these pour people up and spits them out and even when they gain some sort of success within that system it still grinds them up and spits them out and it's just a fucking horror but it's all in service of the art in service of did we get the shot like the oh it's magic hour and we got it and a guy died but who gives a fuck you know and then another guy dies in the sweat booth but we got the shot it's fine and that's the whole thing it's like is the art worth it and even at the very end you're like okay he understands the art isn't worth it. This is a misery factory. And then he gets into the theater and he looks at the screen and it's like, oh, it was all worth it after all. No, that's even more cynical. And it's horrible. <laughs> you just basically yeah. said that all this human suffering was worth it because you made good movies. And half of them probably weren't even good movies. Fuck you, Damon Chazelle. I fucking hate you. I thought I well, liked I, you, and now I hate... I thought I hated you when going into it. I never. I haven't liked his other movies. Then I was like, do I like Damien Chazelle? And then at the end, I was like, no, I fucking hate him even more. Well, I hated it for a completely different reason. Um, no, I like... I like what it's going for. The, you know, even with all the, you know, debauchery and cynicism that's in Hollywood, like, the movies still do matter, you know? Like, I think that's the end of it. It's like... Yeah, no, this, it's a shit show here. Like, what goes on behind the scenes is pure fucking anarchy. But what's on the screen lasts forever, you know? But that's what I hate about it, because that's wrong. That is a wrong opinion. When, when she, when that old lady's saying that exact thing to uh, Brad Pitt, my thing was like, okay, so we're going to see how that's wrong, right? And then, no, that's the end. That's literally the point. And it's like, no, the people who died, they mattered more than your fucking movie. I don't know, man. Well, because when you think about it, in the you know, if that guy lived or died, 
Would we have ever known about him? No. But you know what? what? That movie still lasts. Whether we know about him isn't important. Whether he led a satisfying life is important. I don't know. Like, the you know, people who died in the chariot races of Ben-Hur. It's like, well, hey, fuck, man. Ben-Hur's gonna live forever. Yeah, but fuck Ben-Hur. I'd rather those people had lived and maybe had a few more kids who maybe fucking grew up to cure cancer. Yeah. Fuck no, that. Fuck movies. They suck. They're not worth your goddamn life. They're not worth your soul or your integrity. They're not worth putting fucking blacker face on. That guy's the one guy that had the right fucking idea. He's just like, fuck this, I'm out. Oh yeah, that's why he's in there. So you got two things. But no, I, I'm I'm on the si- I'm on the side of the film. What I hated about it is, you know, not fucking spoil it. Whatever. The movie is an oh is an homage to another very famous film. And then at the end of the movie, the guy goes and sees that famous film. And I was like, do you think I'm still... Like, I got it. <laughs> like, I knew what you were doing for three hours. And then in the last ten minutes, he's like, oh, no, see, I wasn't stealing. I was referencing. And here's, like, the footnotes. <laughs> it's like they put all the uh, with the bibliography at the end. See, I didn't mind that at first when I thought that that was going to be the cynical capper on it, where he like he sees the hollowness of it all by seeing it on the screen, like, oh, this is what it was for? Some fucking Gene Kelly movie? Uh, I thought that was the point. And then you realize, no, he's looking at the screen and seeing all of my sacrifices came to this, and that's a good thing. It made it worth it. And that's what pissed me the fuck off. Because like I, this is why I didn't like Whiplash. I was talking about this to my, my, my writing partner, Nate, on our other podcast, the end of that movie justifies all or tries to justify all of J.K. Simmons' character's abuse. The idea is like, it doesn't matter how much of a shitty guy he was, how many lives he ruined, as long as he made this guy a better drummer, it was all worth it. And Nate was like, nah, it's more ambiguous than that. Fuck it wasn't, because that's this entire movie. That's the whole fucking point of it. I don't know. I'm, like, I think saying, yes, it was worth it is up to your interpretation. I think that's clearly Damien Chazelle's point. I think he's an art I, supremacist. I think he thinks art is more important than people or the, than the people that make it. Well, I know whether it's worth it or not, I think is irrelevant. I think just the point is, it's like this, this will live forever. You will not live forever. I mean, that's the whole Gene's, <laughs> I could just say Gene Smart's monologue, but no, you're not going to live forever. You are going to die. And then years later, no one's going to remember you, but these films will live forever. See, but that's, that's my point is, the the idea of living forever as a as a good thing as a thing that is preferable to just living a quality life that's the problem you're living forever as this fake bullshit celluloid monster but they don't know they don't see that as a monster they see that as the as the ultimate ideal that's disgusting to me well, you shouldn't want to live I, forever if you're living forever as fucking singing in the rain well i see i i don't but i don't think you can blame the movie for your cynicism <laughs> No, I'm not as cynical as the movie is. I was as cynical as the movie was up to that point, and then it added an even different, better layer of cynicism than I ever could ever have. Where it was like, okay, you know this horrible Hollywood and how it makes this shit, and, and we're supposed to love it. That's that's a good. It's like, did you see Blonde? Uh, like twenty minutes, and then I had to tap out. Oh. Well, okay, because Blonde does the same thing, except it doesn't say at the end, wasn't it great that she sacrificed her life and her happiness for the sake of being in some fucking movies? Like, that's that's what fucking Babylon is. Well, I think the one thing we can all agree on is Chloe Fineman was fantastic. I don't know who Chloe Fineman was in the movie. <laughs> I think she was in the movie just so we could talk about it on the podcast. Was she the waitress, um, maybe? I don't even know. No, she was uh, like just a background in the uh, Hollywood party that Margot Robbie goes to, and uh, so just one acts. of the people getting randomly fucked. Yeah, no, not that party. the The second party where uh, she reenacts the scene from Problem Child Two. Oh. oh, and by the way, everything else about the movie is fucking fantastic. Like it might oh, end yeah, up I, making my best list and my worst list at the same time that's how fucking good this movie it, was until the it end it made it made my top 5 i i like for 3 hours i was never bored i the movie flowed fucking great it was just that last 10 minutes where i was like oh fuck I, why why'd you do that the only you thing had like a perfect movie going on the only thing that it failed to do that it should have done is uh the scene where uh, margot robbie throws up it should have been a Stand By Me style cascade of everyone in the room throwing up. 
That's where I thought it was going. And that's where I thought the movie was going to end. I thought the movie was going to end in just a fucking Mr. Creosote just pile of vomit. And I would have been like, I would, would have loved that. And it has my favorite joke of, I think, any movie this year when they're in the bathroom. And they're like, do, do people want sound in their movies? And then you just hear a guy taking a big shit. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> yeah. And I, when the movie came out, because I was, I was kind of excited. I'm not excited for it, but I was looking forward to seeing it. And then the, the early reviews were so bad. And like the one thing everyone kept saying was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it starts with an elephant taking a shit on the camera. And... After I saw the movie, I was like, it starts with an elephant taking a shit on the camera. Well, and that's not like the high point of the film. It starts there and it just keeps going. And it's a perfect. That's not a negative. It's a perfect metaphor for what the point of the movie should be, which is that none of this is worth it. and You're just getting shit on. <laughs> but yeah. that, that's the my problem is it then takes it a step further where it's like. Didn't that shit taste good after you realized the movie was made? <laughs> like, that's my problem with it is it kind of defies that image by the end. Yeah, the shit's well, not supposed to taste good. So we've talked about uh, Babylon. So I don't have anything to, to talk about, about brain donors. Brain donors. <laughs> there wasn't anybody uh, getting shit on by an elephant in brain donors. So it's basically a worthless fucking movie. Okay, so yeah, Brain Donors. This is okay, directed by Dennis Dugan, produced by the Zucker Brothers. Who I guess left production at some point. Yes, uh, written by Pat Proft, who um, is a longtime collaborator with the Zucker Brothers. He wrote a lot on Police Squad and Naked Gun. Remake of the Marx Brothers, starring three dudes. Like, why would you? What's. Who, who's. Who, why are you doing this? The Marx Brothers work. Because they were three guys who had just impeccable comic styles that meshed well together. You just cast three actors as Mark, Marx Brothers analogs. That's never going to fucking work. When? How could that ever work? And John Turturro, I would argue, is the only one that's close enough for it to mean anything. Like I said, Mel Smith is playing Chico, but he's British. And then the Harpo guy talks like throughout the fucking movie. That was jarring, like, right away. The first scene is, well, the first scene is uh, a little Will Fenton claymation thing, which I thought was very cute and put me in a, a very happy mood. I'm and a big, I'm a big Will Fenton fan. Have you ever seen the Mark Twain movie he did? Yes, that scared me as a kid. Yeah, that was creepy as fuck. Uh, but no, I love Will Fenton. Yeah, that's one of my, uh, like, yeah, claymation freaked me out when I was a kid, and I think it was just because I saw that Mark Twain movie. I don't remember anything about it, I just remember it scaring well, me. Well, what you remember in your subconscious is the the scene where they meet the devil, and it's like this floating mask that keeps changing shape as it's telling you about how it's how he eats people's souls. <laughs> and it's like two little kids looking up at him going, we're talking to the devil. How's Mark Twain fit into all this? Because it's based on, all the adventures are based on Mark Twain short stories, and that's one of them. Oh, and he wrote about the devil? Yeah, I believe there's a short story, or maybe a novel, I don't know, where he he met the devil. It was like Huck Finn, like, I don't think it was a Huck Finn story. (laughs) It was N-Word Jim meeting the devil. (laughs) They're just like, oh, it sticks river. Uh, Alright, so yeah, a little claymation thing that I I thought was funny. Music by Mark Mothersbaugh. So I was like, oh, this is like, that'd be fun. And then the first scene is this guy acting like Harpo. And I was like, all right, like, I feel like I could get on this wavelength. But then he's like, oh, hey, I'm late for work. And I'm like, well, Harpo doesn't fucking talk. That's immediately when I checked that. Because I got the big, it's sort of like a Pee Wee Herman kind of thing. He's got all these weird contraptions and he's got a drawer full of alarm clocks because he keeps smashing them. And funny little sight gags and, you know, little bit of business. And then, yeah, he immediately speaks and it's like, oh, wait, was this guy's dressed like Harpo? Isn't he the Harpo? Maybe I'm mistaken. But no, he's the Harpo. They just don't know. For people who don't know, Harpo Marx didn't talk. At least when he was performing. He was a mime. But I guess they didn't know that or didn't think like that. Maybe they didn't think they could write a modern movie where a character didn't talk. I don't even I don't know the reasoning behind it. Well, because he's still he he's doing the Harpo Marx pantomiming thing. You know, they're, he's stealing pretty much every, all of Harpo Marx's bits. He he does the gooky at one point when they're doing the mug shots. Um, but yeah, then it's like he looks right in the camera and talks. And that's the first scene. So I f- almost feel like that's the makers of the movie going. 
okay, yeah, we're doing the Marx Brothers, but we're not totally doing the Marx Brothers. But then every line this guy says, the Hardpoint Marx guy, like inconsequential. He didn't have to talk. That's why I I wonder how much of this movie was sort of improvised, where they like because you'd have to maintain that this character doesn't talk with a with a measure of discipline that you probably wouldn't be able to achieve if everyone was just kind of making it up as they went along, because they would be like, oh no, we I, need to fill something in here. Why don't you say a line? This movie, every single line in this movie is a joke. I would be uh, very surprised if there was ad libbing. This movie feels very. Very written. Well, John Turturro's stuff feels very written, but I felt the Harpo guy and Mel Smith, I don't know why I remember his name that vividly. I don't know who this guy is. but the, You know the, why? You know why you remember it? Picture credits at the end of The Princess Bride? That's probably it. Uh, Every but, movie should have picture credits. I like a little, I like a fucking, what do you call that? Uh... Uh, I guess a bow, I guess, you know, a curtain call. As far as I'm concerned, of, every know? movie should have a claymation sequence with Will Vinton, well, made by Will Vinton at the end. But, uh, yeah. but no, that like, they seem very slipshod in terms of their jokes, whereas John Turturro, everything he says feels like exactly from the page. Yeah, um, I guess. And there's a couple moments where it feels like maybe they're having a little fun, but no, this this felt... <laughs> very tightly written um and only an hour and 19 minutes so i mean kudos thank you <laughs> look i will say this was a much easier sit for me than k911 i know i i i i was getting sucked up into the story of k911 yes because you're um, a fucking idiot but <laughs> <laughs> this didn't have long periods of let's Go into the mind of this serial killer or whatever the fuck who's hunting a dog. What the fuck? Not even hunting a dog. The dog had nothing to do with the goddamn movie. This, the ballet at least had something to do with the movie. <laughs> um, nah, I, I, I liked I liked the villain in K911. Uh, uh, you know who also I like? Nancy Martian. Great casting choice for the Margaret Dumont character. Uh, she was... Uh, Tony Soprano's mom. She was also the chief on Naked Gun. Uh, she plays the wealthy dowager. I thought she was good. I, you know, I well, the other problem with the movie is it apes the Marx Brothers too much. It actually has a Harpo, which is like, or not a Harpo, a, a Zeppo, which like, yeah. What? What? Why'd you? Why'd you bring that back? No, but we all, we all, anybody who watched those movies knows. You never needed it. You didn't need it then. You don't need it now. Why do we have... And they keep saying his name. I think it was like Alan something. It's like, oh, we gotta keep checking up and see what Alan's doing. This fucking bullshit romantic lead that has no funny lines. Yeah, well, that's the thing with all Marx Brothers movies, except for uh, Duck Soup being the one exception. There was always the Marx Brothers acting all crazy, and then there would be a love story at the center uh, that would pay off. And I, you know, I think the reason being for that is your movie can't be total anarchy. You know, you do have to have something, just one little thing grounding it, you know, for some stakes. Uh, and the one movie that doesn't have that is Duck Soup, and that was their, a big financial failure. And so every other... They tried they tried to get rid of it, and then the studio was like, no, you gotta have them lovers singing and dancing. But then you watch the movies now, and you're like, fast forward through this shit. Yeah. I mean, you know... I mean, obviously, Love Happy is the best one, and that has, you know, the Marilyn Monroe subplot, but... Uh, <laughs> it's not a subplot. She just walks past the screen. I don't even remember was that. that. In, I remember liking was that, that in when Blonde? I was a kid. Was, that, was she not in it more than that? No, she just, like, walks in, and she's... It was I think it was before she was a star. She was, like, a rising star. And Marilyn Monroe just walks in and, like, Groucho's like, hey, I'm going to take this lady on a date. See you guys later. No, my favorite as a kid, um, I think, was always Monkey Business. That's the one that has the Chevalier thing at the end, right? Chevalier! That's when they're on a boat. Yeah, no, Duck Soup. Duck Soup's my favorite because it's, it's like a tight 75-minute movie, and it's just pure chaos. There's no... I mean, there are stakes. It's a war, but it's just fun. It's all the funny business. Uh, and then, like, A Day at the Races is probably number two, but... When I watch that, I gotta fast forward through some of it because there's like there's this dorky guy in the middle of it going, "I love you," and when the horse wins the race, I'll be a famous singer, and to prove I'm a good singer, I'll sing for you now. And luckily, the the Alan character, whose name I only know because they say it fucking fifteen times, 
he's not that much of a, a part of the movie relative to what I remember of the Zeppo in all those movies. But it's just, yeah. With how everything else is just like a very tightly realized bit. And a lot of them I, I, I liked. I liked the like the, the French farce door scene where they're trying to hide the girl. Like, there's stuff that they, they clearly thought out well. You know, the stuff in the hospital. Like, there's there's stuff they do. Whether or not I'm laughing at it, like, hilariously or anything, at least I'm, like, recognizing, like, oh, you did something there. You seem to know what you're trying to do, even if it doesn't work in a modern setting. And then it's just, yeah. But then I get to fucking see these two ballet dancers, and maybe they'll fall in love. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's like they had the... They had the chance to improve on the Marx Brothers, cut out the shit I hate about the Marx Brothers, but they're like, nah, you know how all Marx Brothers had, like, shitty lovers? Let's put some shitty lovers in here. And they're also played by ballet dancers who are terrible fucking actors. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's probably easier to teach a ballet dancer how to act than it is to teach an actor how to dance ballet. So they got these ballet dancers at as the fucking romantic tri- love triangle in the middle of this movie. And, like, they're like, I am Ronaldo. Well, I'm Alan. And I'm Marie. And, like, that's the extent of their uh, charisma. i just like to point out that we basically now applied Armageddon logic to this. It's easier to train a, a, a oil rigger to be an astronaut <laughs> than train an astronaut to be an oil rigger. Uh, I have... I have no faults in the logic of Armageddon. I think that movie tracks perfectly. Well, that's always been a thing people point out, but it's like, that made perfect sense to me. Of course it would be yeah. easier to teach them to fly in space. Hey, you need drillers, man. Um, yeah, now this movie, Brain Donors, is is not an interesting movie to watch, but it was, it's just an interesting movie that it exists. And I would I would argue that on paper, like, if I was at, like, the first cast read-through, for the production of Brain Donors, I'm like, I think you got something here. Like, John Turturro, he's good. Um, you know, Mel Smith, he's no Chico, but, you know, he's. I appreciated that he was kind of bringing his own thing to it. He wasn't trying to do Chico. Uh, and then the guy who was Harpo, I was laughing at some of the shit he was doing, too. But as I'm watching it, I'm just like, none of, like, none of this is, means anything. But I wonder—is this one of the movies Gene? Is this one of the movies Gene Smart was talking about? One day John Turturro will be dead, but brain donors will live on. Well, I, I want to get to the John Turturro of it all, but uh, yeah, I, well, like if you approach this movie, if you didn't, if you never seen a Marx Brothers movie, and you watch this movie, do you think you'd get more out of it or less out of it? I think more. I think this movie would work better for someone who is unfamiliar with the Marx Brothers. Because it it would come off to them as just like a zany, crazy 90s comedy. And I think for somebody like me who's basically forgotten most of those movies, I haven't watched them nearly as much as you have, I think I, I took more out of it. Again, not to the point where I would call it a good movie, but I think I enjoyed some of the bits because I wasn't thinking like, oh, that's from that movie or that's replicating this bit. Well, they don't steal any bits. Uh, they steal locations. Like, the scene in the hospital is taken out of Day at the Races, but it's all new material. Like, they're not... Uh, the scene with where in the hotel... Or in the house where they're... John Turturro, they got the girl and everything. That's taken out of Day at the Races. But it's all new bits, you know? They're not completely ripping it off. They're just kind of taking the location. And if you're going to do that, I would say just take make it a fucking Marx Brothers homage, you know? Have them get on a boat, you know, make it total crazy. And like they're on a boat in the middle and then it's just monkey business for 15 minutes. So does this, you, you mentioned uh, For Love or Mummy, the, the Laurel and Hardy movie. What about, what about Disorderlies? What about the fat boys doing the Three Stooges? Does this make you more or less inclined to want to watch that? Uh, well, there's that. And then there's also the, uh, <laughs> the, the Richard Nixon Spiro Agnew movie where they're Rich Little's playing Laurel and Hardy. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the Farrelly Brothers Three Stooges movie, which I'd be kind of curious to watch again. Well, and then this all started with, lest you forget, A Fine Mess was also a remake of a Laurel and Hardy short. See, this, I would argue, while not as, like, gobsmackingly weird, because obviously there's nothing in this movie that will rival Nazi horse dildo. This was a more enjoyable sit. I think I, I appreciated this movie for what it was trying to do well, more so than A Fine Mess, which just did nothing right. I could see what it was trying to do, but it was failing on all accounts, whereas 
I would say this half worked for me. It's not terrible. It passed the time. I didn't hate it. I just, I just felt like it was so meaningless. Whereas a fine mess, I thought was a fa- fascinating failure. See, that's the thing. A fine mess has Richard Mulligan gaining super speed because of a horse dildo in his asshole. There's nothing yeah. like that in this movie. But I just, I'd rather my movies just be better rather than have. Really? I don't know. The whole time I was watching this, I was like, "This needs more horse dildo." What do I mean better? If and if that horse dildo, horse dildo, yeah, and if that horse dildo was made by Nazi Larry Storch, I'm down for that too. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I can't hate this movie because I watched fucking K nine one one before it, and that gave me nothing, <laughs> and this gave me something. Well, you have absolutely nothing to say about it. Did you like the 1990s ballet audition? Or they're like, this ain't your daddy's Marx Brothers. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. But I liked, like, like John Turturro. Let's just get to him. He carries this movie so fucking heavy on it, on his shoulders, because no one oh, else yeah. is picking up the slack. But I would say it's a, it's a great uh, uh, Groucho Marx, you know, kind of... I wouldn't even call it an impression. It's just he has the cadence down, but he's making it his own. Yeah. Where was he at this point? Because I'm trying to think, like, where was this relative to Barton Fink? That was the first thing I remember seeing him in. Um, This would have been, like, right after Barton Fink, but probably filmed at the same time. Because this, all, like, sat on the shelf for, like, three years. So I would guess most people probably didn't know who John Zaturo was at this point. Because that, wasn't that kind of his breakout? Uh, yeah, like, I think the only thing he'd been in before that was, like, Do the Right Thing. Oh, I guess. But he's not, like, a huge part of that. But you might be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who works at Sal's. Because it's weird, watching him in this, it's like, you know, this could be him now, in terms of just, like, how much command he has of this character in this movie, where no one else seems to really give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a... It's a very interesting performance from John Totoro. And I would argue, the guy who plays Harpo is, like, is interesting too it's interesting but it's not like good <laughs> that's the well that that's the thing with with john Turturro. i gotta keep watching because I, I i realize i say that's the thing like 20 times in every episode they can't all be the thing but <laughs> but this is the thing uh john Turturro is the only one where it feels like he has respect for the character and like like, he got the opportunity. Like, he said, hey, could, you want to play Groucho Marx? And he's like, oh, I love Groucho Marx. Like, I don't think Mel Smith was like, yeah, I love Chico Marx. And I would have, or this guy was like, I love Harpo Marx. I don't feel that love. I feel like they're trying to bring something to it in terms of their own style of comedy to this archetype. But beyond that, like, John Turturro feels like I'm going to try to do the ghost of Groucho Marx justice in this movie. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, did, I did like him, but... What I was thinking when I was watching it, like, instead of having three guys just kind of, like, riff on the Marx Brothers style, what if they got three comedians with that just blended well together and put them in Marx Brothers situations? Like, the 90s equivalent of Groucho Marx, like, who's a fast-talking, like, I don't know. Like a Richard Jenny, maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you gotta have Richard Jenny in there. You said fast talking. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of remember him as kind of fast talking. Of course, Barry Sobel. Well, Barry Sobel would be the Groucho. Uh, Barry Sobel from Martian Go- Martians Go Home. You, th- uh, why, you didn't have to remind me of that. Of course, I know who Barry Sobel is. <laughs> uh, well, just we'll just steal the cast from Million Dollar Mystery. What about uh, we'll uh, get Toxic Werewolf from Million Dollar Mystery to play Harpo and, uh, and Eddie uh, Deason? Can, I no, know. I think Eddie Deason's Harpo. Eddie Deason, nah. Make Eddie Deason the young lover. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be our Zeppo. You know, if Eddie Deason was the Zeppo in this movie, fucking perfect ten. Oh yeah, a, a plus film. Uh, I'm just uh, consulting my notes. Uh, Eddie Griffin is in this movie. I noticed that, and I think did I see that Dennis Dugan directed. No, I was, I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, I was actually looking up the director of Double Take, and he also directed some other Eddie Griffin movies. That's what I was thinking of. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I feel like since Eddie Griffin is in this movie, that means Double Take is in the Saturday Night Jive universe. And I'm pretty sure, because wasn't Double... I think Double Take's about, like, you know, people hiding out, switching identities. 
I wouldn't be surprised if his uh, delivery man character in Brain Donors is just one of the aliases from his Double Take character. Well, it's funny because I have Double Take on my list already, my uh, list of non-SNL movies. And it's purely, the only reason I'm interested in it is because of your review of it. Because I remember you, like, I think hated it with a passion when it came out. I distinctly remember you complaining uh, a lot about it. And that's why I put it on the list to see if it would hold up. Um, I don't know if it's interesting. I just remember I saw it in the theater and like the movie just like, it seems like it was written as it went along because they'd be like, oh, uh, I'm the FBI guy and you're the criminal. And then like 15 minutes later, it's like, nah, but the joke's on you because I'm in the FBI and you're a criminal. What? And then like 15 minutes later, it's like, we're both criminals. Well, I believe, isn't it based on like a French movie? Isn't it sort of like, like that's sort of the point of it? Oh, that would make sense. I think it is. I don't. I could be wrong about that. I thought it was like a Silver Street remake, but I might be wrong on that too. I don't remember anything about the movie Double Take. Well, we're watching it next week. Uh, what else we got? Oh, uh, speaking of blackface, were you uh, were you geared up for a blackface scene in this movie? Because I was. Wait, was there a blackface scene that I missed? When uh, the great Valare, who they're trying to usurp at the end, uh, the last like 15 minutes of the movie is basically the ending of the night at the opera. They take over the opera and ruin the show and everything goes all crazy. And at one point, Harpo replaces the uh, main ballet dancer's like uh, face cream or something with shoe polish, black shoe polish. And I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) He's going to get out on that stage and ballet dance and blackface. I mean, look, we, we're we a pro-blackface podcast. Our position has always been <laughs> that blackface makes everything better. No, I don't remember that. The, the whole third act of this movie is just a wash in my brain at this point. It's like, none of it was really that funny. That's like the weak, that's the most frantic and, and anarchic part of the movie, but it's like the least memorable or interesting to me. Yeah, I was trying to think now like any of the bits they did during the demolishing the opera because uh, they throw away the shoe polish. He puts the black shoe polish on his face, but then he looks in the mirror and he's like, what? And then he rubs it off. And I'm like, oh, well, why did you give me a little taste of it and not have him go out there on the stage on it? Um, I I liked I remember liking they replaced the music with just uh, sheet music, just one note over and over again. Well, I think the thing that final like brought that whole thing down for me was when he's dressed as a duck and then uh John Turturro comes out as a duck hunter and it's just it's so weirdly paced. Like it takes way too long. Like you get the beat of it right away and then there's like four other beats of the same thing which is like now he's going to raise the gun again and he's going to walk slowly up to him. And it's like what is this for the purposes of what they're doing? They're trying to ruin this show. Why is he being so slow and methodical? Like It's like as if he got into the method of this Elmer Fudd character in the moment. It's like, why is that? Well, I'm, maybe if I even laughed at that image, which I didn't initially, why am I laughing like five minutes later? I, I, I think it's just part of the anarchy. Well, that's also probably Dennis Dugan's poor direction. Um, <laughs> to be fair, it's only like his second movie. He did Problem Child and then this. Problem child than this. And then uh, he evolved into one of our greatest directors, is apparently what right. I'm saying. Well, he peaked with Jack and Jill, and he hasn't, like, made a movie since. No, he made a weird, like, wedding dramedy with uh, Jeremy Irons. I saw it on uh, on his uh, Wikipedia. Oh, no, I feel like what happened was Dennis Dugan made, like, pure shit. Like, because we've also watched Beverly Hills Ninja, which is a terrible movie. Um, <clears throat> and there was something else on there, too, that we watched. But he made, like, pure shit movies. And then he makes Jack and Jill you know, a modern day masterpiece. And I think that's when he's just like, I, I'm, I'm hanging it up, man. Oh, by the way, you I'm just, gonna top this. you just reminded me of something. I have to pull up Wikipedia. Uh, this is not nothing to do with anything except, well, do you know who Tamra Davis is? Sounds familiar. Just on the subject of movies directed by people who've done, uh, stuff we've watched and stuff we will probably watch. Uh, Tamra Davis, uh, apparently a frequent collaborator, uh, well, okay, I don't want to spoil it, uh, but she did direct, uh, Billy Madison, CB4, and Half-Baked, which we will probably watch at some point, all three of those, and she directed Crossroads, the, the Britney Spears movie, which we did watch. With Dan Aykroyd's big fat ass? Yes. 
And she also directed a movie in 2000 that I desperately want to see now that I've read the Wikipedia entry on it called Skipped Parts. Have you ever heard of this movie? Nope. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say something now that's going to blow your fucking mind. <laughs> I'm going to read this, this description of Skipped Parts on Wikipedia. Skipped Parts is a 2000 American coming-of-age comedy drama film directed by Tamara Davis. The film stars Jennifer Jason Leigh, Bug Hall, Misha Barton, Brad Renfro, and Drew Barrymore. Wait for it. Reprising her role from Motorama from 1991. <laughs> Wait. You mean her role as girl who was on the box cover of Motorama but barely in the movie? Yes, and I watched the trailer and it's fucking true. And you know the craziest thing? Other than Drew Barrymore and the character apparently, Tamara Davis didn't direct Motorama. Tamara, uh, nobody involved in Skip Parts wrote, or as far as I can tell, produced Motorama. The only connection is Drew Barrymore, who I'm assuming brought it up to the director because she'd worked with her in other stuff. Hey, can I play this character from Motorama? In your movie, several years later. Well, that makes no sense, because in Motorama, the kid just has a dream of Drew Barrymore, and she's just, like, standing in a field going, hi, hi, and then that's it. Like, I don't even know if she has any lines in Motorama. Well, apparently in this and Skip Parts, she is, like, the recurring sexual fantasy of the Bug Hall character. It's like a coming-of-age sexual awakening, and I think she's like a pin-up that he sees and then, like, talks to her and, you know, he has sexual fantasies about. That makes sense, I guess. Well, I guess it makes as much sense as anything in the film Motorama. Or at least that's what I'm getting from the trailer, which I watched on YouTube, but fucking... That character came back in, and there was a Motorama cinematic universe. And there were so many great characters in Motorama that they could have brought back. Robin Duke. (laughs) Remember fucking uh, the uncle from Seinfeld that tried to rape him, I think, at some point? Uh, Flea? Flea was in that movie? Uh, But yeah, anyway, that was the thing I found on the internet the other day. Uh, all right. Well, I have uh, no more notes uh, for uh, brain donors, except, hey, kids, <laughs> at an hour and eight minutes into this movie, there's some farts. I genuinely don't remember the farts. It's not really farts. It's fake farts. Harpo puts a whoopee cushion in the ballet dancer's uh, tights, and then he just oh, leaps around. Oh, I goes, do remember that. So, they are diegetic farts. They are part of the plot, they are part of the scene, but they are not real farts coming out of a human ass, so I don't know if it counts as a Mr. Skids. I feel like at this point- I figured I'd bring it We've had the debate with Police Academy, I think they count as farts as long as they are recognized as a fart sound within the context of the movie. The only ones that don't count as farts are the the sound editor adding the farts after the fact in post. And I say I think those still count as farts. We just don't like them as much. I am almost. I'm saying let's not even. <laughs> we just count rate them, as farts. them lower. We rate them lower on our fart scale. Well, as I said, Babylon has maybe the greatest fart joke, at least of the year, if not, you know, in the last ten years. Um. Oh, and then there was one. There was just the. I think the part of this movie I liked the most. My favorite scene was towards the end when they've they've ruined the opera uh they've uh given a black eye to the uh the evil russian dancer who they didn't like and the the good guy alan who's our young lover they put him on stage and he does the ballet but after all the nonsense of them destroying the opera everyone in the audience like slowly gets up to leave indignantly but then as soon as they see alan dance they like slowly turn around and walk back to their seats like ooh, well i know there's been like farts and like just utter nonsense in this production of swan lake but now a new boy is dancing i think i'll return to my seat now well that bothered me about the wealthy dowager character because like through this whole thing uh john Taturo is trying to curry favor with her competing with the other guy the other lawyer but then by the end it's like the other lawyer has, like, shown her all of his past histories, like, she hates him now, and he's just like, I guess I'm gonna ruin the play in full view of the wealthy dowager, she sees I'm doing it, she's looking at me doing ruining it, and then at the end it's like, yeah, but you, I guess you pulled it off at the very end, so I like you again? 
Well, I feel like that's keeping with Marx Brothers films. I guess. I like, I... The things I liked about this movie, I liked that it was an hour and 19 minutes. It was short. I didn't have to spend too much time with it. But it also did have the feel of people that... People liked the Marx Brothers. They respected them. They wanted to do a kind of tribute to them. But it's just all for naught because you just shouldn't have done it. <laughs> well, and the only weak, the only truly weak link to me is Mel Smith because, like, you miss that out on that kind of shyster character that, you know, that Chico brought. Like, Harpo, you get a little bit of Harpo with the guy playing him in this, and you definitely get Groucho Marx with John Turturro, but I think it's missing that element of the guy who can kind of go toe-to-toe with Groucho, but from just a slightly more rough-and-tumble perspective. I don't think you really get that with the Mel Smith character. Yeah, well, they didn't give him much to do, and he's he's not really a Chico analog. He's he's like a cabbie they bring along. Uh, Harpo and Chico's relationship was always of, like... um, it was always like a of mice and men type of thing, you know, like Chico would speak for for Harpo because um, Harpo didn't speak. And but the Chico and Harpo in this don't really have a connection at all. They just kind of hang around together. It seems like the, the Groucho and Harpo have that relationship more, which doesn't really feel as yeah. right. Because it doesn't yeah. feel like Groucho would necessarily let anybody in. He's usually always the outsider that, you know, you just kind of have to deal with his menace. Yeah, well, and then the the way the three guys all get together is just kind of kind of stupid too. Like he just meets Mel Smith driving a taxi cab, and then he's like, "Hey, uh, you're my partner now, and you just follow me around the whole movie." Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, well, and Harpo works for the old lady. Like he doesn't even know any of them until he finds them, and it's just yeah, they all just sort of haphazard, as if we're kind of debating the logic of right. <laughs> of fucking brain. Donors. I feel like I don't know. They could have just. I don't know, they could have made it a little better. <laughs> but I feel like I mean, this is like 75% of a movie that I would remember fondly if I saw it on TV in the 90s. But just it's missing that 25% that, you know, I can't even think of like an analog of something like this. I'm trying to... I think the Three Stooges movie is probably the the closest to it which i have i have to watch that again because i remember not enjoying that other than larry david's performance uh when i saw it yeah i did i didn't like that at all i felt kind of the same way about this uh you know just well this was a pointless endeavor that no one should have embarked on i remember watching brain donors as a kid because it was either on like hbo or something when we had a free preview and bomb was like this is like the marx brothers and then i watched and i'm like I don't know, I'll just watch a fucking Mars Brothers movie, please. I don't need no fucking John Totoro. Give me, give me fucking Chico. You know the one I really want to watch? Have you ever heard of uh, Stooge Mania? God, that's not a real movie. Is it not a real movie? What are you talking about? It's not, it's, it's a movie, in quotes. It's like, um, <clears throat> it's basically three Three Stooges shorts with zero Mostel in the middle of them. I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I misunderstood what that was. I thought it was more... Cause it, isn't it, I thought it was about a guy who was like obsessed with the Three Stooges and go, like has a nervous yes. breakdown or something. Well, and then he has fantasies of the Three Stooges, but they just play Three Stooges shorts. It's kind of like how, you know, the Bugs Bunny movies where like Bugs Bunny would be like, Oh, hey, uh... I just got to remember this one time I went and visited Elma Fudd. And then they just show a Looney Tunes short and then go, yeah, that was good. Oh, that's disappointing. I didn't realize that because I've always been kind of interested in that. The same way as this, just as a weird curiosity. Yeah, no, I saw that uh, years ago on cave when I'm like, what the fuck? This isn't a fucking movie. This is Three Stooges shorts with a Zero Mostel wraparound. So should I just take all of these? Because I have For Love of Mummy. I have the The Disorderlies. I probably have the Three Stooges on the list. Should I just take them all off now? Should we just commit to not watching them? Um, I don't know. I had the Three Stooges on my list, too, because I thought maybe maybe one day I'd be in the mood to watch that. Because, I mean, the only thing I know about the Fat Boys is the Freddy Krueger music video, where fucking Freddy Krueger raps. Uh, I don't know that. Oh, yeah. There's a famous video where Freddy Krueger teamed up with the Fat Boys to do a, a Nightmare on Elm Street rap. And it's the greatest rap song ever. Uh, but I've always been cons- been curious to watch The Disorderlies, which as far as I know is their only movie. 
If there's a second uh, Fat Boys movie, then I'm gonna kill myself right now. Let's let's all pray to the gods that there isn't. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm keeping it on the uh, list. Right. <laughs> hey, I can't. I, I ain't gonna tell you what to do with your list. Alright, so, yeah, I got nothing else to say about fucking, uh, whatever the fuck we just watched. So, uh, how do, how do we do this? Do I just pick a movie and then you pick a movie and then we figure it out? That's basically what we've been doing, unless you want to watch Skip Parts. What's the format of our podcast? Hey, no. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to watch that. Maybe I'll, I'll, if I see a trailer, I'll watch it. Uh, alright, let's see. What's on my my wheel here? Oh well, I hate that it's a cheat pick, but I uh, car fifty four. Where are you? You know, I'm up for it. It is a remake of a kind of a classic old comedy thing. I mean, it goes along with brain donors in a in a sense, I think. Yes, but I just uh, do you want to watch another one it, after that? I know. It was originally a uh, musical, and then they cut all the songs out, so that would be interesting. I remember I watched it uh, stoned one night, and uh, was like, what the fuck is this? This movie makes no sense, man. I just feel like that has led us astray way too many times at this point. Hey, that's how I watched A Fine Mess. (laughs) Which is what I was referring to when I said that's led us astray too many times. Alright, well what's on your wheel? Well the first one I got was The Big Bus from 1976, have you ever heard of it? The Big Bus? The Big Bus. I have heard of that, but I don't, what is that? It's a like an airplane, it's a disaster movie? what's an airplane-esque parody of disaster movies. But it's a comedy, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah The yeah. first bus that runs on nuclear energy embarks on a disaster-ridden maiden journey from New York to Denver. A mysterious organization links to the oil lobby is determined that the trip goes wrong in every way matchable. Starring Stockard Channing, Joseph Baloney, Ned Beatty, and Richard Mulligan, and Sally Kellerman. Yeah, I remember I saw a trailer of that once, and I was like, maybe I'll watch that one day. Because, yeah, it's it's very... It was Airplane before Airplane, I think, because it predates Airplane. Yeah, 1976, so yeah, it would. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be up for that. I've, I've always been curious about that one. I remember seeing the trailer for that and going, one day, one day I'll watch The Big Bus. Okay, then I guess it's The Big <laughs> Bus from 1976. Uh, all right, so... Stay so tuned it has for been that. decided. And go see Babylon I, and then hate yourself. Uh, and go see Babylon and be like, man, I paid for one movie. I got like fucking eight movies. All right. So next week, join us next week for The Big Bus. And until we see you again. Oh, and if this link doesn't yeah. work, it's Car 54. That's going to be our backup. Okay. So join us next week for The Big Bus or Car 54, Where Are You? Some vehicle-related movie. If we can't find either of those, we should do Moving Violations starring Bill Murray's brother. But until we see you for that, whatever it might be, get Get off the shed! Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. And proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. La, la, la.